Hello and welcome to this brand new weekend edition, a summer series on spiritual formation. I have been holding on to some very special conversations in my podcast vault and have been praying and wondering what to do with them. Well, here we are and I couldn't be more excited. We are going to spend some time over these next few weeks of summer looking at spiritual formation. We have a threefold cord here in our community. The threefold cord involves a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills, which I believe when we have this foundation working, operating, and we're practicing these things in our life and in our family, then we can have authentic spiritual health. Because sometimes, sometimes there are just blocks and obstacles that are lodged inside of our mental and emotional states, our nervous system. And I've just seen in my own work of the past decade, in my private practice and in my research and study, that we don't want to spiritually bypass these anymore. We want to instead integrate, fully integrate, so that we are embodied beings. So what does that mean? We talk about this word embodied. We talk about being embodied, embodied beings, a lot here in the community. And we're gonna talk about it more in this series. So being embodied just means to be fully present, moment by moment, to your life. We can add words here that we're very familiar with. We're attuned. We are awake. We are alert and we are leaning in to our life. We're present. Our mind and our body are integrated. These are words that you hear a lot here in the community. And particularly as we go into this summer series, we will talk about them even more. Dr. Chuck DeGroat, who we've had on the show, says wholeheartedness, living with a state in a state of wholeheartedness. I like to just say we're integrated. My mind and my body, my spirit, my soul, everything is working in unity. Our ultimate goal in life is that we are living in unity. So to talk and to teach us more about spiritual formation, I have turned to Renovare, a Christian nonprofit that models resources and advocates fullness of life with God. It was founded by one of my spiritual heroes, Richard J. Foster, the author of The Celebration of Disciplines, where I first learned three and a half decades ago what spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines actually were. Solitude, silence, celebration, just beautiful practices. He really introduced me to the contemplative way of living my faith in the world. So he offers these 10 counsels in spiritual formation. He defines it as the Christian idea of spiritual formation is very simply the formation and confirmation and transformation of the human personality, body, mind, and spirit into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He writes that there's a tendency today to think of spiritual formation exclusively in terms of practices of one kind or another. We get so excited about Lexio Divina, contemplative prayer, meditation, all beautiful practices, stillness, silence, and solitude. But he cautions to not think of spiritual formation exclusively in those terms. When we think that way, 
The only way to be formed spiritually is to do these practices. We begin to think that anyone not doing those practices is not experiencing spiritual formation. That attitude, once again, <laughs> will only produce legalism and bondage, and it utterly defeats spiritual formation. And he speaks of these 10 counsels in spiritual formation, and I just love it, and I thought it would be a great framework for us to talk about right here at the very beginning of our journey. He says, do not define spiritual formation in terms of various practices. Do not focus on curriculum-based solutions. Do not aim at outward action. Mm. Do root spiritual formation in the Great Commission, which we know is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He says, do think internationally. Thinking internationally with respect to spiritual formation involves thinking geographically of the whole world. But primarily, it means that we are to be thinking always of the whole human family. What is essential is life with Jesus, interactive relationship with the great God of the universe, and inner transformation into Christ-likeness. Therefore, we respect diversity. We honor the necessary human cultural vessel that must always go with the treasure of Christ in us. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, we have this treasure in clay jars, and the treasure is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The jars of clay he speaks of in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 represent the human body and the various cultural forms we use to enshroud the treasure. We receive every person within the context of their unique vessels, both personally and culturally. We never try to impose our own culture upon them, nor do we mistake our own or others' cultural vessel for the treasure. At the same time, he writes, our work of spiritual formation must focus on our commonality, the things that the human family holds in common, our common deformity, we're all sinners, our common need of a savior to free us from sin, our common need to be a good person, our common desire to know how to live well. So he, ha he has these questions, you know, how do I love my husband or wife well? How do I raise my children well? How do I study well? How do I face adversity well? How do I run businesses and financial institutions well? How do I form community life well? How do I reach out to those on the margins well and how do I die well? Whew. He continues with his counsels. Do think in terms of the church universal. Now, what does he mean by that? I'm going to go into depth a little bit here. Sectarian reform movements that cement an eternal split only become ends in themselves. Those involved in the task of spiritual formation work instead for the transformation of the whole church, the whole people of God, in all her multifaceted expressions. Traditional, contemporary, liturgical, charismatic, emergent, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, big church, little church, house church, big crystal cathedral, he writes. We attempt no end run around the church. 
God is with his people in all their waywardness and silliness, and so are we. What we are after is life in the kingdom of God, a life that all can live. He writes, we are today in the middle of a spiritual centrifuge. Old densities are breaking up. New densities are forming. We are learning new ways to do church. Oh my goodness. This is so relevant and so good. I'm so happy that we're doing this. He writes, the new ways may not involve buildings the way it has in the past. The new ways may not involve liturgies in the same way it has in the past. We may have to learn ways of singing the Lord's song in a strange land. And likely we're in for lots of changes in the days ahead. But the point is we are for the people of God, all the people of God, whatever form that takes. How powerful is that? This next council do give sustained attention to a balanced vision. He writes about giving sustained attention to a balanced vision. Another tendency today in spiritual formation work is to focus attention only on the contemplative. Mm. Because that tradition has been sorely neglected. But we need to remember that is still only one dimension of the spiritual life. Other traditions include holiness, charismatic, social justice, evangelical, incarnational. We need to seek a balanced vision of Christian life and faith. I just feel like I'm reading a treatise. This is amazing. We need to seek to be a people of cross and crown, of courageous action and sacrificial love, a people who are combining evangelism with social action, the transcendent lordship of Jesus with the suffering servant Messiah, a people who are buoyed up by the vision of Christ's everlasting rule, not only imminent on the horizon, but already, already bursting forth right now in our midst. Can you see it, he writes. Even though it feels like peering through a glass darkly, can you see a country pastor from Indiana (laughs) embracing an urban priest from New Jersey and together praying for the peace of the world? Can you see a Catholic monk from the mountains of Colorado standing alongside a Baptist evangelist from the streets of Los Angeles and together offering up a sacrifice of praise? Oh, I'm going to continue with these. These are so good. Can you see social activists from the urban centers of Hong Kong joining with Pentecostal preachers from the barrios of Sao Paulo and together weeping over the spiritually lost and plight of the poor? Yes. Yes, Richard, I can. I have seen this in my spirit for over a decade. Can you see laborers from Sewataw and landowners landowners from Pretoria honoring and serving each other out of reverence for Christ? Can you see Hutu and Tutsu, Serb and Croat, Mongol, Han Chinese, African American, Anglo, Latin, Native Americans all sharing with and loving one another? As we say here, everyone sitting at the table. Can you see the sophisticated standing with the simple, the elite standing with the dispossessed, the wealthy standing with the poor? Well, I have seen this. I actually have seen this. I have seen this in my community. I have seen this in Haiti. I have seen this in Thailand. I have seen this in Kenya. I have seen this. Yes, yes. Can you see people from every race, nation, tongue, and strata of society joining hearts and hands and voices singing Amazing Grace? 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Ooh, so good. He writes, his next counsel is to do draw wisdom and insight from the great tradition. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? Let's reject the heresy of the contemporary. The people of God throughout history instruct us in the way eternal. We learn from Moses. We learn from Luther. We learn from Joseph of Arimathea. We learn from Catherine of Genoa. These are our teachers, our models, our inspiration, and we draw wisdom and insight from the great tradition of the devotional classics. Brother Lawrence, Thomas Akempis, Julian of Norwich, Jean-Pierre de Quassade, Thomas Kelly, and we could just name so many others. We draw wisdom and insight from the great tradition that has gone before us. We stand on the shoulders of the giants, the men and women of biblical history, and religious history and spiritual history. And we learn and we glean and we bring that into our homes and we talk about it around our tables with our children and our grandchildren. His next counsel, do take the long view. Mm. In our culture, we're in a hurry. We want quick, here must snaps, results. We think in terms of lifetimes and centuries, but the soul will live forever. It's precious beyond imagining. Thus, investing deeply in even a few folks will count for all eternity. In fact, there are vast numbers of people who are committed to the long haul. They really want to be like Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And believe me, investing in these precious lives will take all the energy, all the time, all the prayer, all the weeping, laughing, singing, hoping we can possibly muster. And his final, final counsel is do develop the highest possible Christology. Now Christology is not a word I've introduced here, so let's learn together. Our task in spiritual formation is to hold up the wonder, oh my goodness, and the majesty of this Jesus who is over all. <laughs> he actually writes tops over all, to use a phrase from the Cotton Patch translation of the Gospels. There simply is no one to compare with this fully human, fully divine person who strides across the pages of the Gospels, very God of very God and yet very human, as the creed declares. Quite clearly, Jesus is the single most important person in all of human history. Well, we believe that here. I am of the Judeo-Christian tradition. I follow the ways and the work and the teachings of Jesus. And I do believe he's the single most important person in all of human history. Maybe you're not there right now. That's okay. Maybe you're deconstructing your faith. That's why I wanted to add these beautiful additional bonus episodes. They're for you. They're here for you to grow in your life of faith. Foster writes, let me make this as straightforward as I possibly can. Jesus is the master of every situation in teaching, in human relationships, in all of life. And the wonder is that this very Jesus who actually walked the hills of Galilee and who died on the cross of Golgotha, this Jesus who also rose from the dead, was victorious over all the powers of death and hell, is now alive and he is here to teach his people himself. Jesus will teach you and me how to live, how to really live. And oh, that is what we're after here. He will teach us how to really live in the midst of our life circumstances, 
facing our life problems, answering our life dilemmas. This, this is the very Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. The master teacher who could reveal the hearts of his hearers with such tenderness and care, of whom it was said, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, Matthew 12, 20. Jesus would never crush the needy. He would never snuff out the smallest hope. This, this Heartlifters, is the good news we share in spiritual formation. Jesus, the master teacher, has come to town and is giving master lessons in how to live life well. Ooh, kind of like that. Master lessons in how to live life well. That might just need to be the name of this series after all. That's good. I like that. To serve as our footing, because we love to have a footing, a prophetic footing here in this community, for this bonus series of the summer, I'm returning to these wise, powerful words of Richard J. Foster. We are today in the middle of a spiritual centrifuge. Old densities are breaking up, new densities are forming. We are learning new ways to do church. The new ways may not involve buildings like it has in the past. The new ways may not involve liturgies in the same way it has in the past. We may have to learn a new way of singing the Lord's songs in a strange land, and likely we're in for lots of changes in the days ahead. Likely we are in for lots of changes in the days ahead. But the point, he strikes so mm, with such power, but the point is we are for the people of God, all the people of God, whatever form that takes. Now, however uncomfortable his words are, or perhaps they're very comfortable, like a lovely pair of slippers in the winter, <laughs> I hope that they invite us to examine our faith. The global pandemic invited me personally into a time of real introspection spiritually. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? Why do I go to church? All, all of the questions that perhaps I had been afraid to ask before being actually forced home, forced to not do things the way they had always been done. Because that to me is what this pandemic did. It messed up our hair. It tousled us. It caused so much confusion inside of our heads because things weren't as they once were. And that, my friends, causes our brains to sometimes even hurt because it can be that confusing. And I've worked with enough clients um, through this pandemic as well to know that when we are invited to do things differently in the spirit, in the journey of our faith, that can sometimes feel very, very wrong. And so this is just a time of exploration and I can't wait. I can't wait to bring these conversations to the table and hear what you have to say about them. If you're not on Instagram, consider joining it because I'm gonna be interacting there at Janelle Rarden. Just put that in and it'll take you right there. It's not a big deal to join and I, I just think it's a great safe place for us to continue the conversation. So until next time, keep growing, keep listening, keep learning. It's a good summer to grow.